Victory for the Giants. After two blowout losses, the Giants got back in the winning column, taking down the Panthers 25-3 at MetLife Sunday. We look back at a dominant win, Daniel Jones' one-handed catch, and whether this could spark Big Blue to go on a win streak. So come celebrate good times. Come on. It's a victory celebration edition of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Reverse. It's Pettis to Jones. I thought that was a dime if he would have kept running. I mean, he, he made a he made a great catch. So like, I guess I guess it worked out even better. But. A lunging one hand grab from the quarterback. Good play and a good design. Something we've worked on all week. And the throw by Dante Jones throws caught. Pettis is in. Pettis found Jones early. Jones finds Pettis for the score. You know, I heard QB one, RB one, and. Wide receiver one today, so. And off for Booker, makes a man miss it. Johnston, first to the end zone, touchdown. We're a very resilient team. When the team comes in, they work and they prepare and they do everything necessary to have success. They work together. That's when you know your team's moving in the right direction. Ooh, welcome back to a victory edition. We haven't got to say that much of Blue Rush, our Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but go in there, give us a five-star rating right in. A nice review on Apple Podcasts. Those calls you just heard, courtesy of Fox Sports. Adam Amin and Mark Schlereth on the call for what was a glorious day at MetLife Stadium. Oh, victory. Giants win 25-3 to improve to 2-5. and five. But let's welcome in your host of Blue Rush this season. That would be a two-time Super Bowl champion kicker, the Scotsman, Lawrence Tynes. That is co-host. From the mean streets of Long Island, the Giants beat writer for the New York Post, Paul Schwartz, Jake Brown, Sarah McCrory, Andrew Hartz also on board here. Lawrence, I was the only one to pick the Giants on the last show. I was the only one with some sense of positivity. And Sam Darnold showed you who he was, who was a very mediocre to below mediocre quarterback. And the Giants took care of business. 25-3. 25-3. Good to talk about a victory for once. It finally is good to talk about a victory, but I'll go one step further. He's less than mediocre. He got benched today. I mean, that's not a good sign. You know, there's a lot of trade rumors swirling around with Deshaun Watson, but more importantly, I'm going to go on record today, and I tweeted this earlier, best game Daniel Jones has ever had in a New York Giants uniform. I actually asked Joe Judge about that after the game. You know, it's not the most yards he's thrown for. It's certainly not the most touchdowns he's thrown. It's not the most yards he's run for. Toughest game, maybe, the most resilient game. You know, I, I don't, I'm still not going to say best game, but this was impressive. This was no question about it. Look, I was there early in the morning. Sterling Shepard goes out there. Five minutes later, he goes back in. He's not playing. You know, he tries it. He's not playing. So he's out. Darius Slayton played. He did some good things. So, you know, all that firepower was out. The right side of the offensive line was rough. It was really rough. You know, Daniel Jones just, you know, he doesn't care. You know, the rush is coming at him. He tries to sidestep it. He gets sacked. He moves on to the next play. It was, it was, so I, I'm not saying best Lawrence, but this was a tough, tough ass game for Daniel Jones, you know, and he continues to show us his athletic ability. I mean, I mean, they got more mileage out of that 16 yard trick play. I mean, you know what, when you lose those things, just get thrown right away. Right. And when you win, there was, we'll talk about this a little later. There was such fun back and forth between Daniel Jones, Dante Pettis, a little bit of Joe judge, Graham Gano, your guy, Graham Gano said, 
man, I got to get a still picture of that. And I got to get Daniel to sign it for me that, you know, him outstretched with the one arm. You know, they were having a lot of fun with that. Uh, Logan Ryan wants to play Daniel Jones now in a one-on-one basketball game. Now, you know, everyone's talking about how athletic the big guy is. You know, there, there was a big smile. There was a big smile on Dan- Daniel's face after this game. And, and it, you know, it was good to see. Certainly not a stats game, right? Like numbers wise, but the word you use there, resiliency, going out there with Pettis, Johnson, Sills, and Slayton. Not homegrown, you know, not names everyone's going to know. That's what I was most impressed with with Daniel today was his ability to finally, you know, we've watched him now for the better part of three seasons, to finally put it on his back and will this team to, to a victory. We've never really seen him do that. In a, in a sense. Now he's won some games and had some big yardage games and throwing and running and things like that. But this was just kind of one of those gritty, resilient games that you want to see a guy somehow figure out a way to win. And they did. And, you know, they didn't have the, it wasn't the sexiest performance on offense by any means. The defense played really well or Sam Darnold played really bad, but the way he willed this team to, to victory, a clean game, nothing flashy, just the way I loved the way he went about his business today and made the plays that had to be made. Something we haven't been able to say this year you know this team doesn't make a lot of plays to help themselves win games they didn't turn the ball over and they did just enough and listen this is a you know it's a big win it's only their second win but I I, this can do a lot for a locker room that was you know pretty beat up well what do we say about quarterbacks one of the things we want to see and can they make those around them better right look with Galladay with Tony with Saquon they'll spread the ball around and they'll do some good things but as you said he didn't have those guys so he had to lift up Dante Pettis who was on the practice squad at this time last week you know he had to lift up Devontae Booker who is getting stuffed at the goal line in the second quarter you know just just some really rough play calling and you know first down at the two yard line and and Kyle Rudolph catches the ball for one yard and, and steps out of bounds and you know that's the kind of thing that could crush a team when you go one yard yard no yard no yard minus one you give up the ball on downs at the at the you know at the shadow of the goal line that that could crush a team that was booing at MetLife Stadium it was all the stuff that we know right the feel the negativism Daniel Jones stuck with it and then you know Devontae Booker breaks a big run late in the game to seal things you know um so yeah it was just enough I mean but at, at halftime I don't know if we were singing this tune at halftime when the score is 5-3 and we're making jokes about baseball scores that's on the defense I mean the defense this is what we expected of this defense and we, you know we can talk about Sam Darnold being lousy and being benched and oh by the way coach rule did not discount anything for next week he said you know, <laughs> Dar- he said Darnold's gonna start but he said if this doesn't get better, everything is on the table. So um, you know, like this, this was really bad. I mean, Darnold was was almost shockingly bad. How you know? I mean, we've seen the Giants' defense all year, and 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 you know, this this performance was not in them until today. Yeah, and what a great quarterback to go up against. You know, he started out hot the season. Everyone was, you know, happy with Sam Darnold in Carolina. But 3-0. and Yeah, 3-0. and But once you get, you know, a three or four game tape for opposing coaches to watch, that's kind of builds your trends and things you're good at, and teams start to take those things away. So you have to continuously keep trying to get better. He has obviously not done that. The Giants defense and the Giants football team heard us loud and clear last week. They heard us, me, you, everybody, the fans. I think that was important, and I saw Logan Ryan's uh, press conference. He recognized it. You know, he mentioned the word pride, uh, something that no one should ever question a football player on. And I think they took that to heart. And listen, you're going to have bad games in this league, but you never want anyone questioning your pride as a football player. And I love the fact that Logan, you know, he always says the right thing, said the things that he said about the guys coming to the games, they pay for their PSLs. And listen, you should think that every Sunday. 
because we're going to watch you on TV too, but this will galvanize the locker room a little bit. You know, it's a win. They needed it and uh, they played hard. They did a lot of good things and listen, they're going to go back to work and, and see if they can get some guys back next week. But all of a sudden that opponent they play next week doesn't look so good, does it? Well, you know what? <laughs> After seven weeks, the Giants have one fewer win than the Chiefs. Okay, that's all I'll say about that. We're going to talk about the Chiefs later in the week, but the Chiefs have one more yeah. win than the Giants. After seven weeks, which sounds like a misprint or a typo or you know something going wrong in my microphone. You know, you know what I think helped the defense a lot in this game, Lawrence. Coaches shouldn't tell the truth. Matt Rule, and I don't think he was bluffing. You know, after last week, Matt Rule said, we are going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball 30 to 33 times in the game. We're going to get back to running, and this is not just me blowing smoke. We have to establish a physical presence and identity, even without Christian McCaffrey, who's out. Now, the Giants defenders heard that all week and thought to themselves, oh, so he thinks he's going to come into our place and just – we're going to run the ball 30 times. We're telling you we're running the ball 30 times, and we're going to get it done. Now, the first drive, the only time that the Panthers scored, they were running the ball pretty nicely. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, he's going to come in here and shove it right down the Giants here running the ball. After that, it was completely closed down, and they ran the ball 17 times, and they were just absolutely abysmal on offense. So it, it was Professional um, football perfect. players are professionals at using things as motivation. You know that. They use anything a coach says or comes from the from the other camp and the team that you're playing. You know, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. It's always a, a hot-button topic. I thought Matt Pert was excellent today. You know, you didn't hear a lot about him. He did some good things in the run game. They had some big runs off his side now he was maybe caught downfield once and I believe Solder was too those were weird plays you don't often see that illegal man downfield but it was like back-to-back plays almost or maybe well, Daniel, Daniel was rolling out and yeah they thought he was gonna run and he didn't run it, it, you know that that's a sink thing and and Perk did get beat on one one run block he got totally he just didn't he just didn't block the guy overall it was you know he looked good out there and Reddick was quiet he had five sacks last time he was in that building the inside, you know, Hernandez probably had one of his worst games, did not play so well. The the big guys at Burns, he's a good player for them, the big nose tackle. They did some work inside. But overall, again, patchwork offensive line, they did some things. And I thought Jason Garrett's game plan was really good because it was kind of, you know, getting the ball in and out of Daniel's hands quickly. They didn't do a lot, but listen, they won a football game. And I think that's important. And I think Pert did some really good things over there on the left side against, you know, a really good pass rusher. So, so Lawrence is back in the Matt Pert fan club. His ticket well, listen, has been renewed. I, it has been questioned by Paul. And I, did, I, I gave a very good political answer last week. And I said, I'm not, he's only a second year player. He needs more reps. I never said I was out or on, but I like him. To your point, he looks good in a uniform. And the more he plays and young players just need confidence. And every game you play, like he did today, and you play well, he goes into next week thinking, you know, it's it's a good thing for a young player. And, you know, he's going to have to be over there for a couple more weeks with Andrew Thomas out. So that's a good thing. Well, look, let's see next week, you know, what will be an, another challenge for him. But, yes, every play, you know, just because you look on the roster and it says two, right, second-year guy, they're not all the same, Lawrence. You know that. No. You played with some guys. That two was like, it might as well be a two in high school. He's not ready. Or the no. two might be, man, that's just like his second decade. The guy's a total pro. Pert played at UConn. It was not a big-time operation. He played every snap. He's a, He was a little overwhelmed this year. I really think he was. I think – you know, he's had a lot of guys in his ear. Um, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, 
he's no good. They got to get rid of him. You know, I wouldn't say that at all, but this is the snaps he's got to get. This, this game helped him a lot. Yeah, I agree with you with Hernandez. Look, the right side was um, was a rough deal with Hernandez and Solder. You know, it's a rough deal. And, you know, every week it's going to be this way with the offensive line. It, it's it's patchwork, as you said. You know, they, they, got, they do it all they can. And I thought Jason Garrett did a good job moving the pocket. You know, everyone says roll Daniel out. You know, when you roll Daniel out hard to the right, it takes away a lot of your options. You know, he threw some slants to Slayton and things like that. You know, it's not like he's going to roll to his right and throw across his body across the field. So it's easy to say that, but you have to do it. Then you have to execute. I thought Slayton came back nicely. And I would, I just want to ask you, when that play is called, right, and, you know, and, and you see Booker, Pettis, and then you see the ball up in the air, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, oh, that's a nice play, but the ball's just falling incomplete. The ball's overthrown. I thought it was overthrown, no question. You know, I heard Daniel say he maybe should have kept running, but I mean, it was a bang, bang play. As soon as he touched it, I mean, he, you know, kind of touched it off his helmet, face mask, and then corrals it. But he took a pretty big shot. That was, I think, Sean Chandler, who was a former Giant safety, and he hit him. But look, okay. he's a six foot five guy. He's extending yeah. for the ball. You know, he's going to get hit on the sideline. I thought it was very funny. Now, now Dante Pettis, who we said he kind of flashes a little bit. He's an father, explosive player. He's an explosive yeah, player. Yeah. His father is Gary Pettis, who played in the major league for many, many years, center fielder, and he is the third base coach of the Astros. So he's yeah. going to the World Series. You know, so awesome. Joe Judge said, look, Dante's got some baseball in his background. And if he doesn't make that throw, he's not going to be able to go home for Thanksgiving. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was yeah. very funny. But I'll tell you, it was, you know, Logan Ryan said, I didn't think he had that in him, that kind of throw. And he said, now everyone, you know, Daniel always says he's a really good hooper. I want to get him on the basketball court. And Daniel shot right back. Daniel said, I'm not really worried about Logan Ryan on the basketball court. You know, and that's, I like that. You know, that Daniel Jones is not like, well, yeah, I'm sure Logan's really good in basketball. He's like, yeah, he wants to play me. He's going to lose. It's it's good stuff. And and this is the kind of stuff that you just, it doesn't come out of a team when you're losing. No. You can't have fun. You can't. Well, well it's, a, you know, it's, it's a big tip of the cap to the coaching staff for getting this kind of group of, I don't want to say misfits, but it's, this was a random offensive unit they put out there today, including the offensive line to win a football game. I know the the Carolina Panthers offense is not very good right now, but that defense is pretty good. They played well, and so they found a way to win. So a lot of credit goes out to to the offensive staff for putting together a plan. It was important that they did not turn the ball over, um, and they were able to create one turnover. And they got after the quarterback. You know, when they were in obvious passing downs, you know that's that's what's so interesting about this defense, right? We have never put a team because we're two and five in an obvious passing situation. They can get after the passer. And Ajilari, my God, he is, you know, when it, and obvious passing downs, he did a lot of really good work late. He's a budding star now, but we've just never been enough of those situations this season because, you know, teams are doing whatever the hell they want, run past. But it looks like, you know, they created a lot of pressure. Ajilari, the, the Roche guy, he he made a couple of nice plays. And then this McKinney, my God, I was looking in my, my online Google searches for McKinney, he made a really nice play in the A gap on a run. He back. hits. He's a hitter. You know, he yeah. was a pro bowler with the. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a pro bowler, you know, before this with um, a special team player or a defensive player. No, defensive player for the Texans. You know, he he was a he was oh, a hundred wow. he was a hundred yard tackle guy. Bernard Rick, Bernard Rick, okay, McKinney. And um, look, I don't know what he's going to give him, but he but he hit a little bit. And look, I yeah. think we have to give some props to Leonard Williams. You know, yeah, he's everyone. Up. Everyone always wants to say, well, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Well, he got all the big money. You know, Leonard Williams. He, and, he's and, played. And, he's played fine. 
we, we've talked about it. His numbers are very similar after four or five games. You know, he and Lorenzo Carter, who showed up today finally, they get the safety, you know, intentional grounding in the end zone. Safety's always energized the crowd. You know, everyone loves defense when you get a safety like that, energizes the defense. And Leonard Williams is, he's an impressive guy. He really is. He just goes out and plays. He tries to motivate the troops. He doesn't, he really blocks out the noise, really. You know, and he's had a lot of losses with the Jets and a lot of losses with the Giants. And he's a good player. I mean, and I think he's only getting better. He's not the old guy by any stretch. No, he's he's uh what he does, and if you look at last year's stats, is he starts to wear on teams when teams get a little bit, you know, banged up throughout the year. He's he a gets, big man. He's he gets stronger man. and yeah. does a lot of his work in the second half of the season. And it looks like he's getting to that point. We, we need to keep an eye on Matt Pert. I did see him leave the game for a little bit. It looked like a wrist or finger. Fing, finger, but he okay. but he came back in. He came back okay. in. So yeah. Tough guy. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned the coaching staff. Um, you mentioned Garrett, obviously. Patrick Graham found a way to get some pressure, which is really get him in third and long situations. That's the, no secret. Um, um, our columnist, Ian O'Connor, was able to track down John Mara for a few comments after the game. Just a couple, you know, a couple of quickies. John doesn't give state-of-the-team addresses, but he asked him about Joe Judge. You know, Joe Judge is taking some hits this year, certainly. One in five is not not an attractive record. And he said, um, John Mara said, obviously we've struggled this year, but he has not lost the locker room. And I've seen that happen over the years. I think the players still believe in him. We just got to get our guys healthy again. So that that was a nice little um, little snippet there. Little endorsement. And, uh, well, I mean, look, he's not getting fired right now. We know no. that. But look, when when you get blown out the last two games, nobody feels good about anybody. You know, Joe Judge said it's important to have supportive ownership. Ian O'Connor also got Joe Judge off the side a little bit. You know, and 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 you know, Joe Judge knows he realizes it. That was nice to hear. You know, and. and don't forget, Matt Rule came this close, and I'm holding my fingers very close apart to being the Giants head coach. He would have been the head coach if he got to interview with the Giants. But, you know, Tepper, David Tepper in Carolina offered him seven years and $60 million. The Giants were not going to not going to match that. But Matt Rule was the favorite, no question. So John Mayer was asked about Matt Rule and Joe Judge, and he said, I think they're both good coaches. I'm happy with the one we've got. So when you win, everyone feels better. It's only two and five, but, uh, you know, you can't be three and five unless you're two and five. So, um, look, we all said the Panthers were coming in. Oh, my God, they got to win this game. If they can't beat the Panthers, who can they beat? Well, they beat them. It was a runaway in the fourth quarter. So all good for the Giants for one Really good. For Special one shout out to Graham Gano again. What a game. He also just tweeted, by the way, 15 minutes ago. He said, no words need to be said, just one letter W and him kicking. So this game meant something to me. Well, it did because of what happened there on a personal level with his medical deal with his leg. But overall, man, this guy is an absolute stud. Like, it is plug and play. He points and shoots 53, 54, 49, 44. I mean, those are kicking in that stadium. I mean, he's just auto. He's on autopilot. He, uh, he set a record, set a Giants record. You know what record he set today, Lawrence? Probably 50-plus yard field goals. And at what? And 20 games? 23 it, it, games? How, how many do you think he's got? I would say at least 12, 12 15. He's got 10. Joe Danello had nine. Obviously, people did not attempt a lot of 50-yard field goals back in the 70s and 80s. 
and nineties. But well, it's you're a right, different game. But man, it's he's a, a machine. Game. Those were big kicks too, yeah. like to put us up one time. But you know, it just it, it makes the game. Some people look at it, but it, two scores, three. I mean, it was just he's impressive, man. I, I'm really impressed with him. I always have been, but because he's wearing blue now and he's Scottish, it just makes it. I, I just want to give him some shout outs. He's the sixty four thousand dollar question is: Is he the greatest Scottish kicker? In Giants history, Lawrence. Uh, no, he's not there yet. No, <laughs> no, no, he hasn't passed you yet. yet. Not okay. yet. He's, no. no, but he, he regular season, one, sure. Yeah, he was the first one in the press conference room today in uniform I saw him. I before saw him. Joe Judge. He, you know, because Joe Judge knew what this meant. To Graham, Graham came out there. You know, look, it's fine to talk to the kicker, right? But this is a game where you know Daniel Jones and Dante Pettis and and you know uh, Logan Ryan's talking, and all of a sudden, in his full in number five, he in comes Graham Gano, and it's like, oh, I guess. We we're going to speak to Graham Gano first, but he was into it. He was funny. The you know, kicker. You hear how he says the kicker. Like he's a subset from the team. Like you have to get one shot at the kicker. Just, and just, I mean, it's just, and then he tags me on these damn tweets with Larry David. I mean, <laughs> what in God's name is any, any shots you can take, Paul? Do I send you journalism lessons on Twitter? Larry David said he wants to kickers aren't players. He said, and he and he has a very funny. I don't TV even show. know who Larry David is until you sent me that. Like I, I know he's a bald guy that seems like he thinks he's funny, but he's not. <laughs> Whoa! Removing goalposts. How how stupid is that? Let's remove the goalposts. Hey, Larry, let's remove the rest of your hair on the side of your head. <laughs> Do like, you realize that he created? We have our audiogram. Jerry <laughs> No, that's not an audiogram. I don't care about him. We're not getting a fight we're not with removing Larry David. We're not removing kickers. It's called football. Just enough already. Like go attack some other football. I think he was kind of like being tongue in cheek. He you was. Know, you know. But Lawrence again. versus Larry. But well, you tagged me in it, so it became personal. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, I did tag you in it. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. Yes. I'm going to find like a journalism uh, handle and tag you in it if I find something that I see that maybe. Well, if somebody says they have to abolish uh, uh, middle-aged Jewish uh, beat writers on on the. Middle-aged? I don't know about that. Then, um, then, you know, we'll see. Okay. Lawrence versus Larry. I can't wait to see that uh, go down. Damn, you're just taking a shot at his hairline now. Wow, Larry. Just let it all go. Just let the rest go. Jeez. Speaking of strong hairlines, me and Sarah McCrory will interview Paul Schwartz next on Blue Rush. All right, our last-minute Blue Rush switch-up here on today's show. Lawrence has some family obligations, so Sarah McCrory is stepping in to co-host this segment of Blue Rush as we interview Paul Schwartz. This was a tough booking. Uh, had to go through his publicist, his agent, you know, social media team but we were able to get him on the line with us now and paul where did it all start for you we know that you've been covering the giants since 94 but where did your journalism career begin it's so nice to have me on the show it was it started in a one-room schoolhouse on a dirt road uh you know it was like a country song yeah no shoes uh those kind of things um the way it all started is um you know in school we all try to uh, uh, pick a path that's going to suit us and um as a really young kid i really love science uh never really loved math but loves really love science i always used to tell people i want to be a scientist i had no idea what that meant but um you know a- as i went through the ranks i i was always much better at the, at the humanities writing english i always used to say any any course that i took that i could write my way out of i would do fine in you know what i mean it's when there was the multiple choice and it was like the cold hard reality of a b c or d fill in the blank you can't 
bluff it. And, and that was a problem. So, um, you know, I was, I was a high school, uh, I was the sports editor of my high school paper. I was a sports editor of my college paper. Um, I got a job working in uh, Albany, New York, um, a week and a half after I graduated college. So it was kind of an, a, a, at that point, it was a, a migration to try to get to New York. So I, I was in New York. That, then I was working for a paper in Middletown in Orange County, covering New York sports. And then I finally, in 94, because of the connections I made, landed at the Post. So um, my, uh, just like the uh, extinct dinosaurs, my migration has ended uh, I think for now, you know, with the New York Post, I don't think I will be migrating too many other places. Thank you for coming on my show. Sarah, did, 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 did I, uh, were, you, were you nodding off there during the, during this? No, uh, no, I'm, I'm interested. I studied sports journalism in college. I'm in this industry and I think it's interesting. Obviously, Jake and I are more on the broadcasting side. And I was going to say, you know, studying sports journalism in college and all the kind of experience I've had in this industry, it's very much, I don't want to say an old school mentality, but that journalists, they should take themselves out of it. They shouldn't be fans, um, that it kind of ruins the fandom for you. So I'm just curious, did you grow up a Giants fan? Are you a Giants fan secretly? Are you even going to tell us? How do you feel about, about the Giants? You know, it's funny. You, you said, you know, about a sports journalism background. It's like what you and Jake do or what you study did not exist you know, I mean, that's the amazing part of it. It's like, okay, well, literally the term podcast is what? I don't know, Jake, what is it, 10 years old? I mean, maybe that. 10 to 12 years. Maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that you know, it didn't exist, you know. I mean, my son took journalism classes in college. He took a podcasting class. I said, really? You're getting three credits for podcasting? Really? But it, it didn't exist. Look, I, I, I think any anybody who's in this business who says, well, I'm not really a fan. I'm not really, I'm not so into sports. I mean, why the hell are you in it then? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, if you're in finance, you love money, right? You want to make money. Um, whatever you do, if you're an architect, you love building and creating. So, you know, people are jaded. I get jaded. But no, I grew up a huge sports fan. My father, actually, when I was really young, was like worried. Oh, Paul's not really into sports. Well, that changed. <laughs> once, that, once that changed, it really changed changed. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can say I grew up, my father was a Giants fan. Um, so I grew up a Giants fan. I remember sitting in the car with him. Um, my mother wanted to go shopping somewhere. Talk about who ruled the house there. You know, I mean, we had to go somewhere and the Giants were in, I believe it was 1970. They were in the playoffs. Fran Tarkington was the, they weren't in the playoffs. They had to win to get in the playoffs. Fran Tarkington was the quarterback and we were out. We were listening to the game on the radio. I think it was probably Marty Glickman on the radio in the car. And it's like, I think back now, sometimes I ask my father, like, why, why didn't we just say we're staying home to watch this game? But we didn't, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess that was the secret to a happy marriage. So, yeah, but but once you get into it, uh, once you start covering a team now, you know, a lot of people who cover things in college, you know, you, you write for the school paper. It's hard not to be a fan of the team. You That's your school. Uh, you know, I always tell college kids, you got to kind of separate yourself from that, even though a little bit of fandom is not terrible, but um, I root for a good story right now, period. I root for a good story. Um, the good story yesterday for the Giants and Panthers was the Giants winning. That was the better story. And now I don't say, okay, now I next week I root for them to lose because that's a better story. It doesn't matter what you root for. The stories take shape. And I root for getting good stuff, writing good stuff. And an 0-16 team or, you know, a 3-13 and team like I covered, you know, you have to cover those teams. If the team goes 12-4 and and wins a Super Bowl, you have to cover those teams too. And you got to learn how to do both of them. So 87 and 91. One. Giants win two Super Bowls. Paul Schwartz has his pom poms and he's he's celebrating. He's at the parade, you know, <laughs> take, taking Jaeger bombs. You're you're celebrating the two Super Bowls because that's before you were covering the Giants. Well, I was doing none of those things you just mentioned, uh, but um, yes, uh, I, I was a Giants fan. Sure, um, here's a great illustration. Okay, you know, you grow up a Giant fan, right? Okay, and then 
you end up covering the team. So my first year, um, 1994 with the Post, my first assignment, they, and I was also covering the Knicks at that point, you know, for the Middletown paper. So I was really, and I had never covered NFL football. I covered the Jets for the Middletown, but I never covered the Giants. Okay. So I was not that familiar with them. So they tell me, here's your first assignment. It was, it was in um, in the winter of 94. They said, here's your first assignment. You're going to go to Knicks practice. They used to practice at SUNY Purchase on Monday. Okay. Or the Giants are playing the Vikings in the playoffs. They, they were playing the Vikings in the playoffs that year. If the Giants lose and they're eliminated, you go to Knicks practice on Monday. If the Giants win and are continuing into the playoffs, you got to get on a plane on Monday morning and go to San Francisco and spend a week in San Francisco covering the 49ers in advance of the Giants 49ers game. You know, one of them is right in my wheelhouse. Just go to Knicks practice. You know, I'm just putting on a New York Post hat. You know what I mean? Easy. The other one is like, okay, I got to get on a plane. I got to travel. I got to go to San Francisco. I got to, you know, cover a, you know, a playoff series that, I, that I, I, I'm not in at all. So I was watching that game. I remember I was in my aunt's house at a Hanukkah party and I'm watching that Giant <laughs> game and I'm like, yeah, I want the Giants to win. But for myself, I kind of selfishly want the Giants to lose. So I can just get up tomorrow and go and go to SUNY Purchase and cover the Knicks. And it's much easier for me. Giants won. I was on a plane. And I remember the first interview I ever did for the New York Post. I got there. Uh, the next day, I was in the 49ers locker room. You know, Steve Young, Jerry Rice. It was um, their other really good receiver whose name escapes me now. But he was at his, uh, John Taylor. Okay, he was a really good receiver. He just wasn't Jerry Rice. He was at his locker. And I say, okay, he's blown in his locker. I'm there from the New York Post. Here's my first interview. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to tell him I'm here for the New York Post. John Taylor's going to turn around and talk to me. Wait for him. He turns around. Hey, John, hey, it's Paul Schwartz. I work for the New York Post. I'm here from New York. Uh, you got a minute for me. And John Taylor looks at me and he says, I don't do interviews. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I say, okay, well, this New York Post thing's working really well for me. So obviously things have changed dramatically as far as like social media landscape. And I mean, even from when I was in college, like you said your son took a podcasting class. I didn't even get to take a podcasting class. That's still relatively new. And especially um, with social media and technology and how is covering any team really changed now these guys are on Twitter, you know, they're they're getting in fights or they're they're saying things. How has social media and technology kind of changed the way you cover a team? Dramatically. Um, first of all, it's much more of a 24-7 deal. You know, when, when I used to, you know, go on the road and, you know, we'd cover a game, then a bunch of us would go out to get something to eat or something like that. And, you know, the edition was done. The paper was done. We were done. I mean, it was really nothing you could do at a certain point, one, two in the morning, the paper is closed up for the day. So if something else happened or you hear something, there was nowhere to put it. You know, I remember um, my first, um, you know, awakening moment with Twitter was um, several years ago. You guys remember Snacks Harrison, right? Of course, with the Jets and then with the Giants. And he was he was a big Twitter guy, you know, and getting in fights with people, uh, you know, fans and, and, and debating on Twitter. And I remember I went up to, and, you know, Snacks was a mountain of a man. You know, he was a big dude. <laughs> That's why they called him Snacks. I asked him something. I said, you know, you know, snacks. I used to, I, he wanted to be called snacks. So I called him snacks, which was kind of weird, but I did. And I said, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, you know, there's something on your Twitter here. But, and he looked at me like I had two heads and he said, that's my Twitter, man. And I'm like, yeah, I know you tweeted this and I want to ask you about it. He said, no, that's my Twitter. That's not, you know, that's not what we do here. You know, that my Twitter, I'm like, well, isn't Twitter like social media and everyone can see it? He said, yeah, but I'm not commenting on my Twitter. And I say, okay, that's, 
a ridiculous double standard. So it, it's tremendous. I mean, it, it's tremendous. You know, you know, years ago and years ago, the 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 players, the conduit to the fans was us. Um, yeah. It was a little bit of radio. It was a little bit of TV. And it was mostly newspapers. So if guys wanted to get their story out, they wanted the New York Post to write about them. We used to have this thing called the Sunday Special. We wrote like a big full page feature on guys. And I remember I was covering the New Jersey Nets. Derek Coleman, the number one pick in the draft. Kenny Anderson, phenomenal New York City high school legend were their two best players. On the road, I sat down with them individually on different, you know, different times of the season for these Sunday special interviews. And they were into it because it's like, wow, the Nets, we're getting a Sunday special in the post. I mean, now it's just not like that. You know, you can still do good stuff, yeah. but they have their own ways of, of, of bringing their message across. And that's what they do. And, you know, they just look at us as the middlemen right now. Steve Serby was once shoved into a locker by Richard Todd. Have you ever had a moment where you were shoved into a locker, pushed, tripped, punched? Someone like throw that? something at you? <laughs> uh, uh, um, Michael Strahan once once tossed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, um, you know, through a, a bunch of people, which was disgusting, um, getting it out of his mouth. And um, no, uh, no, nothing physical. You know, look, nowadays, if there was something physical like that, there would probably be a video of it. And I would probably retire a rich man. You know what I mean? It's just all there is to it. You know what I mean? It, it just, it's just, you know, there'd be litigation. That would be the end of it. No, I mean, you know, I mentioned Michael Strahan. I mean, he and I had a lot of verbal fights. I mean, physical fights wouldn't have lasted very long, but verbal fights. Where, um, <laughs> I, I, I wrote something about him being greedy because he wouldn't accept, um, he didn't want the, um, a certain uh, a bonus structure the Giants were offering. And um, we had him on the back page as being greedy. Tiki Barber told me that, you know, Michael's being greedy. I wrote a, a big story on it. He used to purposely ignore my questions. So we'd be in a group, you know, we'd be, in a, you know, no COVID, obviously. So there'd be about, you know, 10 or 15 guys around Michael Strahan. And I'd, let's say, be on his right side. And I'd say, Michael, and I'd ask him a question. And he would look at me to the right. And then he would turn to the left and just say, anyone have any questions? And eventually it became a joke. And I'd be going, Michael, Michael, Michael. Michael, Michael, you know, it was like silly. Um, <laughs> he eventually apologized to me after he signed his contract. And, um, you know, we have a fine, you know, not a close, but a fine relationship now. But um, look, you have to, there's plenty of guys who don't like you. That's all there is to it. You but know, there's you, been verbal altercations, like where you fought back, where you like, no, no, F you, no, F you. Like, no, you no, the guy back. no, not F you. But I, there were verbal altercations where, you know, guys said, why do you write that crap? And I said, okay, tell me what crap I wrote. And um, we, we go through it, you know, well, yeah, I remember, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of players off, you know, it happens all the time. You know, it, it happened. I remember Dave Brown, the old uh, Giants quarterback back then, you know, he didn't like some things that were written about him, you know, certainly coaches, uh, definitely uh, front office people. You know, I remember, um, you know, some front office people, you know, saying, you guys, you know, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you, you know, you, you ripped this draft pick, you know what I mean? And look what he's doing now, you know, and, and so look, guys can have uh, disagreements. That's fine. I mean, I'm, everything I write is not correct and everything they do is not correct. You know, it has to be professional. And, you know, Michael took it to an unprofessional level, um, but that's all part of being a big boy also. You know, you walk in the locker room and it's, see, here's the way I think, you know, people say, oh, you, it's a privilege for you to be in the locker room. The NFL mandated before COVID, the media gets 45 minutes a day in the locker room. So for those 45 five minutes. It's not their locker room only. It's our locker room. It's a shared space. You know, it has to be a shared space during that time. Now, before that and after that, it's their locker room. But during that time, it's our locker room. And if you're not professional enough to share that space with us, then we have a problem. And I know some of that writing comes from just the headlines because I've had experience with it just over my two years here at the New York Post is, you know, we had Charles Oakley on the Knicks podcast a year or two ago. And he got mad at a headline based off the interview, and I have him and his publicist. I don't want Charles Oakley mad at me because he will whoop my ass. So you've probably had that where 
you know, you don't write these headlines. And sometimes, you know, a lot of it is for clicks. That's just the industry sometimes. And a headline might have got someone mad. I covered Charles Oakley when he played for the Knicks. And yeah, he we had some problems too and with headlines and things like that. And yes, you don't want Charles Oakley mad at you, even though he's pretty much a sweetheart. He really is. I mean, he is not, I wouldn't call him a gentle giant. You know, he would take your head off on, on the court, but he was, he was good with us. I mean, you know, he was kind of sing song, but he, he was pretty good with us. The, the things I remember former colleague, Fred Kerber were outside um, interviewing him after the season, after they lost in the playoffs. And we were talking to him for about 20 minutes or maybe a half hour. And Charles was going on and on and on and on and on. And he was mad about something, but Fred and I could not figure out what we was mad at. So at one point after like a half hour, Fred just looked at Charles and said, Oh, what are you mad at? And Oh, just went on and on about other things. We couldn't really figure it out, but yeah, no, look, here's the deal. And it's the easiest thing to say. I do not write the headlines. I do not write the headlines. Six words. That's the only thing I can say, but it's certainly uh, guys don't like it when there's a crappy headline and uh, you know, they come to us and you know, sometimes with the editors, look, they, that they get paid. They do a good job writing headlines, but sometimes, you know, I will, I will push back and say, look, you know, now on the paper, I can't do anything about it. It's in the paper, but digitally, of course, I, I can call and say, look, I think that is way too strong. I did not say that. Um, sometimes they say it's a good headline. Sometimes they say, okay. Usually they say, okay, we see your point. We'll change it. But usually it's too late for the for the player. Sarah, you got one final burning question? Yeah, I actually do. Kind of going off that. It's like we always talk about when a player you know, comes to New York, they have to have thick skin for the New York media and just how New Yorkers are. And clearly it's the same for you guys. And, you know, you have players coming at you and a lot of times fans. So kind of how do you deal with that? And do you feel like I'm glad you just cleared your name that you don't write the headlines because I'm sure you get a lot of flack on Twitter from fans and stuff like that. So how do you kind of deal with that? And how have you kind of created a thicker skin to not be so personally offended by players or fans or coaches kind of hating on you for that? Well, it used to be I would get actual letters, you know what I mean? Handwritten letters, right? You know, <laughs> what, are, and, what are those? And, and I don't even would, the mail things. They, 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 they would come, you know, you've got mail was a little different back then. It was, you know, and, and, and they didn't come to my home address. They came to the New York Post address. And then, you know, our, our you know, our um, office coordinator eventually would, you know, take a bunch of them and send them to me. And then I would, you know, read them and hope they weren't laced with some, you know, chemical, uh, you know, that could kill me or something. And, you know, they, they were heartfelt letters. And then it was called us emails and emails and emails then the post started putting our email address under our articles so you get bombarded with emails now of course it's emails and a lot of twitter um look i will tell fans that if they tweet me i read everything i do not comment on them that's all there is to it and people say you don't engage and it's like you're right i don't engage that's just my personal preference Um, i'm not saying it's the right thing or people do engage it's the wrong thing i don't want to go down that wormhole you know um thick skin yeah i mean there's more of us you know there's more of us um i don't think um you know new yorkers are always you know, New York journalists, um, sports journalists are the toughest. I mean, a lot of people want to come to New York. So there's, there's that, you know, you, you don't start in New York very often, uh, but there's more of us. So you have to kind of, you know, in, in, in basketball, you got to box out, right? You got to use your elbows and box out. And sometimes you got to box out in the locker room to get a question in, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of good people here in New York. So you have to distinguish yourself. So yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, tabloid wars were real things, uh, maybe not so much anymore, you know, but look, that's why people want to come to New York. It's, it's, um, it, it's a great place to work, but you have to, you have to be ready for it. Paul Schwartz, he's been covering the New York Giants and the New York Post since 1994. And now his son, Jared Schwartz is on board with the post Schwartz and Schwartz is going to be the next show here. Uh, <laughs> father and son talk journalism, old and new 
coming soon to Netflix. Follow Paul on Twitter, NYPost underscore Schwartz, and catch his insider coverage, Post Sports Plus. Subscribe now. Paul, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Um, um, I'll tell my agent to, uh, you can book this again. And um, um, the address for the, you know, for the fees and the, um, you know, the remunerations, I'm sure I'll be waiting for those. You know, as a guest now, I'm sure um, I've been told the guests of the Blue Rush podcast get a lot of nice um, um, swag packages. Yes, they get a free Amazing But True t shirt. <laughs> oh, God. Thanks, Paul. And that says cheerio to episode 82, the Mario Manningham edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown, Sarah McCrory, and Andrew Hartz for producing the show. Give Blue Rush a wee five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Polly Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We return to your eardrums on Thursday to preview Big Blue's matchup with the Chiefs in Kansas City. My arse will be there in the building. That's right. Thanks for listening, you filthy animals. I don't be mad.